All right, I'm going to introduce uh, Neville Gosman to us, and Neville is going to be bringing the Word of God to us this morning. Neville used to be the leader at Majorville um, Baptist Church uh, for a number of years. Um, he stepped down from that position fairly recently and really now calls Christ Central his home, he and his uh, wife Donna. And we've already got some of their family involved with us. Um, Josiah often plays the drums. Um, so it's so good to have Neville here with us. Um, this morning to bring the word of God to us. I'm going to let him explain the rest of what's going on in his life and, uh, and that as well. So please do, let's give a warm welcome to Neville as he brings the word of God to us. Well, uh, greetings, Christ Central. And uh, grew up here in Fredericton, actually in Nashwaxis specifically. And when my kids came to UNB, I had no idea that I'd end up getting a call to Fredericton, and the kids were all too happy instead of paying $18,000 for room and board and tuition to cut it in half, at least the boys. And uh, they ended up getting married and uh, buying homes in the exact same neighborhood in Nashwaxis as uh, Jess and her beloved husband, and uh, they just live around the street uh, with them. And so it's, it's quite an amazing thing what God does, and it's very easy to visit them. And uh, I have my mother, Anne, and uh, my dad went to be with the Lord two years ago, and uh, he's just uh, uh, laid to rest uh, here in Devon. And, but it's uh, very good to be among you here in person, and the Lord bless those of you online. God is good. Uh, it's a very important chapter into which I am launching, and I'm going to have to move through quickly simply because it is a pivotal chapter. If you could kind of picture uh, a seesaw, and, you, and it's tipping, the church is tipping in this direction towards uh, the, the Jewish people, Jerusalem, and then chapter 15 is where it tips back, and it starts to reach out to everyone else. Acts chapter 15. Lord, help us in this time as we look at this important chapter. Bless my brothers and sisters online, wherever they may be. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a time of rest in these sabbatical year months. And we ask, Lord, that you would be glorified as we move into a new ministry this September. Thank you for giving us rest here at Christ Central. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you would enlighten this particular text, speak even as that which is prepared may need to move aside to what you want to say as I bring forth the principles you have given. Apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And just if you don't see me that often, as a little side note, Christ Central has become our church home. Uh, but uh, we have taken up the senior pastorship in Sussex. We pastored three other, two other churches in Sussex. And they've asked us to come back, and Labor Day Sunday will be my first Sunday in a one-year senior pastorship at Atlantic Community Church. But we'll try to get here as often as we can. So it's not as if, you know, God willing, it was such a pathetic sermon that they asked me to leave the church. <laughs> it's just that God has seconded us out from here. Let's put it that way. I want to take you back to when you were a kid to a playground. If you can, picture yourself on a playground. Ask yourself, what was the favorite toy on the playground? For some of you, it might be the slide, and you're just like zipping right down and trying to stop yourself from crashing at the bottom. 
For some of you, it could have been maybe the monkey bars. For some of you, it might be the swing. But for me, it was the merry-go-round. I remember when my kid, my my cousins who were much older than me uh, would get at a park and they would spin it. Actually, Henry Park, not too far from here. And they would just kind of spin it and they would try to jump on to the merry-go-round. I'm not sure if it's a politically correct toy on the playground. I haven't seen too many. But they would try to jump on while there was momentum. The key was to hang on to the center post and they would spin and you would spin and you would try to hang on for dear life because if you started to creep out towards the edge, you would fly off and ro roll around in the dirt. But I'll tell you, it was fun because we did it together. It was fun because there was speed. It was fun because there was momentum. No fun being on the playground unless there's momentum. In this post-pandemic situation of faith, I think a lot of momentum has been lost. Like the merry-go-round, the church is also a place where there needs to be momentum. A piece of equipment like the merry-go-round is useless without momentum. It was made for momentum. Your faith is made for momentum. Without momentum, you die. Without momentum, the church dies. This morning, I want to discuss spiritual momentum, especially principles about how to maintain momentum for mission. The text from which we will draw these principles is Acts chapter 15, and there have been momentum-minimizing moments in the first 14 chapters. There are times when the momentum in your life is reduced. You need to understand why. In Acts chapter 1 to chapter 14, there was an internal crisis of discrimination and division. That's a momentum-minimizing moment, and they worked through it. They appointed leaders, Stephen, who was the first leader of the church. And then uh, shortly after that, there was another momentum-minimizing moment, when the church was persecuted, they chopped off James, the brother of John's head, and they went after Peter, and, they went, and there was a scattering, the Bible says, a momentum-minimizing moment. The enemy and the flesh are always trying to reduce the momentum of God's people. Maybe you have endured a momentum-minimizing moment. And here in chapter 15, there is a third momentum-minimizing moment, uh, a theological or a missiological crisis of Bible misapplication. Persecution slows the church down, if not dealt with properly. We, got, we have discrimination and division. It'll slow down your church, your life. And applying the Bible incorrectly will slow down your life. And this is what's happening in Acts chapter 15. You know, the assumption is when I talk about maintaining mission momentum is that you are the only solution. A friend of mine is a paramedic. He looms large in the paramedic world and... A month or so ago, he was suddenly taken off shifts because of a medical emergency. And even though they can replace him, there is a sense in which the speed with which medical care can be given to the public has been reduced. But he can be replaced. But in your area of influence, when you are reduced in your momentum, your mission momentum, 
There is nobody coming for the people in your sphere of influence. There is no one who is salt. There is no one who is light. And Jesus is concerned about the momentum of his church because no one else is coming. He said, you are the salt for everyone on earth. Matthew chapter 5, salt no longer, but if salt no longer tastes salty, how can it be made salty again? It is good for, for nothing but to be thrown out and walked on. And he says, you are the light of the earth. You are the light for, every, for everyone, for the whole world. No one else is coming if you lose momentum. Politics can't do it. Education cannot do it. Finances cannot do it. The banking world cannot do it. Nothing will work. Nothing will give people what they need to bring wholeness to life. You, we, are the salt and light of the earth. How do you maintain momentum for mission? We pick up in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 3. It says this, Remember, the background is they had just come back from their first missionary journey. They're sharing how God has won people to faith among the Gentiles especially. And they, the Bible ends up with this chapter, this verse. They stayed in Antioch after that trip for a very long time. And then it goes into Acts chapter 15 and says this, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch in Syria, some men down south came from, Jer from Judea, arrived, and they began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Remember I said there's a theological or a missiological problem that enters? Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to south to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. What do we do with Moses? What do we do with circumcision? Do we need to follow the laws of Moses first in order to get saved? Is it Jesus plus? The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that Gentiles too, wow, were being converted. First principle about maintaining your missional momentum is this, the master makes the missionary before mission. The master makes the missionary before mission. Any work of God, in any work of God, there are times when God allows the enemy into the camp of his children. There are times when he allows an attack, and if you look at Job chapter 1, where the hedge of protection comes down and you feel attacked. Because we often forget that the holiness comes before the harvest. And the lesson is this, that the making of the missionary is more important than the mission, missionary, that holiness is more important than harvest. And so we read in Timothy something like this. It says, in a large house there are dishes made of gold and of silver, while others are made of wood and clay. In a large house, we are like a large house in which God wants to get rid of the ordinary. Some of these are special and others are not. This is also how it is with people. The ones who stop doing evil and make themselves pure will become special. Their lives will be holy and pleasing to their, their master, and they will be able to do all kinds of good deeds. The master makes the missionary before the mission. 
Here's the thing. We don't get rewarded for what we do for God. We only get rewarded for those things that God can do through us. And there's a difference for just, than just between just doing for God and, and letting God do through you. So in this situation with Paul and Barnabas, how does God instill purity within them? Well, I think the text would support that God makes his missionaries through conflict. The text says some men from Judea, while they're celebrating, while they're interested in all sorts of things that God is up to, and they're celebrating and rejoicing at Gentiles too coming to faith, some men from Judea arrived and they began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently, and Paul and Barnabas had been successful, and they had seen what God had done through their first missionary journey. And Antioch was the recipient of all that rejoicing until a serious divisive conflict overflowed into the church. Many a time, my beloved wife have received, has received from me manicures and pedicures. They're big business today, and they make a great gift for that special someone in your life. My wife knows how wonderful they are as gifts for spending time with her daughter and her daughters-in-law and her girlfriends. But she works at the hospital, and she knows how dangerous a manicure, a pedicure is when she's on her feet all day running around the hospital. In behind the hospital, all day they're expanding the deck. There's dirt everywhere. People are lifting, men and women are lifting, and they're hammering, and they're sawing, and they're building a massive extension to the Dr. Albert Chalmers Hospital. And manicures and pedicures are dangerous in construction projects. And God is saying, you know, it's not a bad thing to have a little bit of a break, but manicures and, and pedicures spiritually will destroy your life because friction makes you tough. Those men and women who are slinging and grabbing and ripping and tearing, they're building up something on their hands and on their feet that protect them. My question is this, have you hiked anywhere this past year from a spiritual point of view, from a lower to a higher spiritual level that has made you tough, tougher? Have you built up any spiritual calluses? Have you built any dusty, dirty construction projects of character, or have you been on vacation spiritually? God allows conflict to make us stronger, to make the missionary. Another thing that we see from this text is that the second of two things in which God forms us spiritually as missionaries is that God makes his missionary by examination. Goes on to say the text the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem accompanied by some local believers to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being converted. See, the testimony time that Paul and Barnabas shared among the Phoenicians as they traveled south to Jerusalem and the Samaritans of what God did in saving Gentiles on their first missionary journey and among the Christians in Antioch 
represents the second way. And it just looks like a little testimony tie. And the Phoenicians, we, we, it's almost, a, we would think that they rubber stamp it. That the Samaritans, you know, listen to all these testimonies and they just rubber stamp it. After all, you're the mighty Paul and you're the mighty Barnabas. We're not going to question, but that's not what is going on. God is subjecting our beliefs. God is subjecting their beliefs and their experiences to the examination of other believers. Because humility leads to the best time-tested convictions. Proverbs 18.17 says, the first person to speak in court always seems right until his opponents begin to question him. And so they're rejoicing in Antioch. They go to Samaria. They go to Phoenicia. They share what has gone on. They've got the testimony number one in Antioch. Think of the Jewish way. Remember the the, the text where it says that let, let it be established by the testimony of two or three? This is what they're doing. They're building up evidence. We know that the believers in all the other places, all throughout Galatia, all throughout these places where we've been, we know that they're testifying to the righteousness of our cause. Now we've done it in Antioch, but we need the testimony of as many people as possible. And they go to Phoenicia. They go to Samaria. They're building up their case. Are we right? so that they would go into Jerusalem having had their experiences and without examination, we treat our convictions, we treat our approaches to ministry as equal to God's will. I wonder if you're willing to live by the carpenter's motto. Many times I have failed to live by the carpenter's motto Carpenter's motto is simply measure twice, cut once. So you take out your measuring rod or you take out your tape and you put it down and you question yourself before you get under the skill saw. And you go back and you say, I'm going to measure, I'm going to test this, I am going to look at it more than once instead of just thinking that my opinion is God's will. Have you been willing to live under the carpenter's motto? Lord, I'm subjecting my belief to the body of believers. And this is what we see going on. Not once just in when their first missionary journey, not twice just when they go to Antioch, not the third time going to Samaria, but a fourth time going to Phoenicia. Because they are confident in their position as they headed to Jerusalem, perhaps too confident. And maturity is not just about being right in your doctrine. Listen, brothers and sisters, listen online. Maturity is not just about being right in your doctrine. It's being right in your attitude about what you believe. Are you offended when other people question your point of view? And whether Paul and Barnabas are aware of it or not, the Samaritans and the Phoenicians were making a judgment call on their ministry. They were testing it, and that testing is a dry run for what they would experience in Jerusalem. They would go into Jerusalem with humility, having been tested. So the master makes the missionary before the mission. But then there's a theological problem. There's a biblical divide here. And here we see the principle, the medicine for the mission is the message. The medicine for the mission is the message. They go into a Bible study once Paul and Barnabas arrive. 
When they had arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But when some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted. Now, remember, it was circumcision back in Antioch, but they add more now. The Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of the Moses. So the apostles and the elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, what are they doing? They're doing a Bible study. Peter stood up and addressed them as as follows, brothers, you know what that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. And what he's talking about is Acts chapter 10, where he has the vision three times. It came down with unclean animals, and God said, uh, kill and eat. And Peter realized that God was making clean through the gospel anyone. And he goes to Cornelius' house, a Gentile. Pick up at verse 9. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening, burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of, our, of, the, Lord, of, of the Lord Jesus. Everyone listened quietly as Paul and Barnabas. Now, remember, Paul and Barnabas, the the master had made the missionary. They've got the right attitude. It's not just coming in. I got all all my I's and my T's crossed, and and I'm firing the word. I've got the right attitude of humility told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished, James stood Brothers, listen to me. Listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of the Gentiles is exactly what the prophet predicted. And then James begins to share out of Amos chapter 9 and Isaiah 45 that this is what God had planned all along. What I just read to you falls into an elite category in my mind of what I would call Neville's top five events in the New Testament. Number one, the virgin birth of Jesus. Number two, the baptism and the launch of Jesus' ministry. Number three, uh, the Passion Week, the death and resurrection of Christ. Number four, Pentecost, and this Acts chapter 15 would be another top five in my mind, this whole Jerusalem council thing. It's likely none of us would have been here had this problem of the church in the church in Antioch. None of us may not have been here had this not happened. Because as a result of this, non-Jewish majority begin to be drawn into the kingdom. Had this not happened, we might have been, uh, from a human point of view, just a Jewish sect, a spin-off, without our own identity centered in Jesus. But we would have been Mosesites, But it's the Word of God, it's the Bible study that they did. In the Old Testament, they looked at the Scriptures, they looked at the life of Jesus, and they realized that the Scriptures in the Old Testament about Jesus were not to be perpetuated by Jesus, but fulfilled by Jesus. And the Word of God took them where they could never, ever go. The Word of God took this division that was splitting the church apart and and united it and took them to places where they could never thought of God to have gone. The Word took them to impenetrable places. I think of the channel. 
watched a few documentaries, this marvel in engineering where in the past you couldn't get through rock, you couldn't get through uh, submerged places, you couldn't get between England and France, And, and this engineering marvel takes people in a place that was previously impossible. Water, rock, politics, the limitation of science kept the two sides apart, but today in 20 minutes at 160 kilometers an hour, you can be from one place to the other. It was imperceivable. The Word of God is like those massive tunnel-boring machines used to cut through rock, but something harder. The inaccessible places of human selfishness, the inaccessible, impossible places of human ignorance and pride and secret bondages and the wickedness of radical individualism so prominent in churches today. The Word of God could take the people where they could only imagine they could have gone. So Hebrews says, the Word of God is alive and it's powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. And listen to the places where it goes. This is not superficial places. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our inner thoughts and desires. What's going on as we listen? I like it, what it says in Timothy. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. There are things that we as a church have yet to do. And it's the word that'll take us from one place to another, from a lower place to a higher place, and as we apply it. So really the question is not how much you know, but how willing are you to submit to its truths? Because the principle is this, the medicine for your mission is the message. And there may be something in your life and you need to go to the medicine. You need to go to the message and don't let errors of the past determine your truth for today. Forever I have seen people make a mistake that they have made or the mistake that a church has made determine their theology. We don't do that. We keep going back to the message and we study it and it may take us a long time and we challenge the elders, keep searching because we haven't found what God has for us because the the medicine is in the message. Especially when there's a momentum shift downward. To get it back, we go to the medicine. Finally, To maintain momentum, the master makes the missionary. The medicine for the mission is the message. And this last principle is the mission must multiply through mercy. The mission must multiply through mercy. Listen to the end result. When they had finished, James stood and said, Brothers, listen to me. We already read that. Peter has told you. Let me jump down to 19. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult. That's the first statement of mercy. We should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, implying 
that the laws of Moses, all 632 of those laws that they were requiring this splinter group who had come from Jerusalem up to Antioch to divide them. They studied the word. They absorbed the medicine from the message. Instead, and he says, here's the truth. Here is the principle of mercy. We should write and tell them, and there are four abstentions. We should tell them, instead of following the 632 laws of Moses, instead, there's the mercy, we should tell them four things from to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating meat strangled, and from anim strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses, notice there's nothing about circumcision, have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. This is the letter they took with them. Verse 24, and this is the reading of that letter once they get back to Antioch. We understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you, upset you with some teaching, but we did not send them. Verse 31 says, and there was great joy throughout the church in Antioch that day as they read this encouraging message. With these four abstentions, idols, which is a violation of the very first commandment, sexual immorality, these first two speak about us responding to the mercy of God. There's a lifestyle and there is an honor that is worthy of Christ that we must live. The other two, in light of God's mercy towards us, strangling and blood, is about in light of God's mercy, we need to extend mercy to others. One is the vertical, you're going to blow it with God if you worship idols and you have a lifestyle that is not in imitation to Christ. You're going to blow it on the vertical. But you will also blow it on the horizontal if there is not some tangible demonstration to people in your gathering, in this case, Gentiles towards their Jewish brothers and sisters, that is merciful. God expects a response of, in light of his forgiveness, we respond we, res we respond in light of his mercy on us. We respond in holiness. And in light of his, his mercy on us, we are merciful to others. Do you need to abstain from eating meat with blood? No. But you need to abstain from idolatry. You do, do need to abstain from sexual sin. Do I need to worry about strangled animals or how animals are killed? No. But that's really important to, to brothers and sisters or whatever the equivalent is in your congregation. There are things for which believers on those neutral things feel are important to them. Romans chapter 14 speaks about certain things. Are they essential for salvation? No, because it's not Jesus and these things. I just want you to see that mercy towards uh, our response to God's mercy and our, as a result, our response in mercy, being merciful, that's what I want you to see that this letter is about. Because the message is clear. This is a movement of love and mercy. Mercy from God and our mercy towards each other.
stumbled upon a fascinating book. I bought it and I wanted to bring it to here, here to show you, but it didn't come from Amazon quick enough. It was simply entitled by Ernest Loosely, When the Church Was Young. Ernest Loosely, When the Church was young, and I bought the only two copies that were there on Amazon. One of the chapters was entitled, When the Church Was Young, There Were No Denominations. I'm not sure if you're aware that for the first 800 years after Christ, the apostles died, those who knew the apostles, they died, the church fathers. And we think all oh, that stuff, and as Protestants, we don't get into that stuff. But that's to our shame. And what we discovered is that for the first 800 years, they fought for something that is just a myth today to us, especially among Protestants. Do you know that according to the World Christian Encyclopedia, backed up by Gordon Conwell, an evangelical Bible school and seminary outside near Boston, that there are 43,000 alleged Christian denominations. 43,000! And I'm sitting there thinking, what do you do with 43,000 when John chapter 17, 21 says, I pray that they will all be one as you and I are one, Father. Jesus goes on to say, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. The implication of that text is that people don't believe that Jesus was sent by the Father when there are 43,000 different Christian denominations. You're different from me, and I'm leaving you. And what this book, when the church was long, young, shows is the, the intense desire to remain one. Ephesians chapter 4, there is one baptism there is one faith. What do you do with this? John chapter 13, verse 35. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The principle here is that the mission must multiply through mercy. This is a place to become, but it's also a place to belong. And people won't belong to it. They won't long to belong to it if it feels the same as what they've got out there. So many places they don't belong. They don't belong in their families. They don't belong at work. They don't belong in a social group. There's so much division. And Jesus says, by my power, you can be one without compromise. Just turning off the alarm on my phone because I want to be done. But unity, what is unity? Pulling a Jody. Pastor Jody, children's pastor. I said, Jody did it. I'm going to do it. Bring my little props. See, unity doesn't mean uniformity. Uniformity kind of looks like this, where we all are from the same cookie cutter, and... Uh, Unless you're just like me, thank you, Jody. Unless you're just like me, you don't belong. You gotta think the same. You gotta dress the same. You gotta you know, do the same thing that I saw uh, at, at the school that I went to, because that is what church unity is. No, 
Biblical unity is unity with diversity. So let's throw that you know, conformity thing away. There is a way for us to be one by the power of the Spirit where we can be ourselves because God makes us into different parts. Church history says that for 800 years they fought for that. You see it here in Acts chapter 15 because that's what keeps mission momentum moving. Another thing about unity is that it says, you know, God sent Jesus. That's what unity does. Unity says God is in that place. And unity says to the world, Jesus was sent to that place. If I want God, if I want Jesus, I need to go to that place. I don't know why. I just feel drawn. Unity is not uniformity. Unity draws people. And uh, dove. You think, why does it bring up dove soap? Dove soap. Men care. Well, dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, you want experiences with God? You want a place that's real? Listen to the text once again. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples, and where God's disciples are, he shows up. Dove. Want the dove in your place? Want the dove here? Then we need to fight for unity more than anything, and it is a unity without compromising the gospel because God loves diversity. At the beginning of the sermon, I said some exciting things happen with momentum and proceeded to talk about how to maintain momentum through the merry-go-round. You spin the merry-go-round, momentum happens, exciting things. It's a fun place. But I want you to know that you need to throw away that merry-go-round. And this is a little bit prophetic. In this, God moving forward will not use the merry-go-round. Do not think that moving forward, do not think that post-pandemic is going to be the same as the merry-go-round. It'll have momentum. But why this Acts chapter 15 is important is because it's the principles that will allow you to see what God is doing next. You cannot create a wave. All you can do is ride it. And it's these principles that allow you to go from an old merry-go-round wineskin to see, to perceive. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. It's not going to be a merry-go-round that God uses to maintain your mission. It's going to be something different. These principles allow us to perceive, to see, not create the wave, but to ride the wave, to see what is the new wineskin that preserves the precious new wine of the Spirit. In my life, I want to maintain momentum. Lord, make me a missionary before the mission. Lord, give me the medicine for the mission from your message. And Lord, multiply the mission through us, through mercy. Father, as the band comes, we ask that you would be glorified. Take, take this word, 
transform us. And I say us, because, Lord, you have led us here. You have brought us under this particular ministry in these days. Be glorified, and I pray for the pastors, the leaders, the elders, the people, my brothers and sisters. And God's people said, Amen. Why don't we stand together? Let's, uh, let's just, as we reflect on the things that Neville has brought, uh, we'll worship God. It could be that God is highlighting specific things in that message to you. But let's not go away without responding and coming before God and just saying, God, will you show me? could well be that you know that you need to develop some spiritual calluses for the mission ahead and you've shied away almost from the trouble and the difficulties even in these last years God is helping us to see that he's preparing us for what he's got in the future and there could be other things as well that God's been speaking to you about. We don't want to go away without responding to that. So Joel's going to lead us in a song. And if you feel that God is speaking to you about any of these things and you would love us to pray for you, then please do just come at the end. We'll, we'll close off the meeting. We'll close off the live stream. But if you want prayer, we'd love to pray for you. And so just come to the front as the song closes. I'll pray for you, Neville. We'll pray for you, others here as well. We'll do that as well. Okay, let's worship God together.